Well, good morning, Resurrection Presbyterian Church, and anyone else who may be joining in. I'm Jared Bryant, the pastor of Resurrection, and over the past few weeks, we've been looking together at some different encounters with Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And this morning, we come to a really special encounter because normally Mark gives very short accounts and very few details, but he does something very different here. He, he slows down. He takes his time and he tells a detailed story about an intersection between Jesus and two very different people who are both in desperate need of help. And it begins uh, again with large crowds that are gathering around Jesus. Jesus has not been looking for attention. He's actually been trying to keep some of his work quiet so that he can enter freely into the towns and teach and share good news. But that's becoming more and more difficult. Uh, but as he's walking with this great crowd, there's a man who comes up before him, uh, falls down at Jesus's feet and pleads for his help. And this man's name is Jairus. And he is the ruler of the local synagogue. In other words, he's like a pastor in this small community. And while it wouldn't have been a very high position, it still would have given him a significant amount of respect and a special place in his local community. Uh, those around would have looked at him and said, well, if any of us deserve to be helped, it's this man. Uh, Jairus is desperate, is what we see. His 12-year-old daughter is sick, and she's on the brink of dying. And of the many things in this world uh, that can break someone. The death of a child is one of those. And Jairus, we can see, is already starting to break. He is falling down out of sheer desperation at Jesus' knees, begging him, imploring him, saying, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And what Jesus does is he stops what he is doing and he goes with Jairus to help this little girl. And once again, this fits into a bigger pattern of what we keep seeing in these encounters. There is a human problem, a condition that leaves a person in a place of serious suffering. And on top of that, uh, the people we are encountering are helpless to save themselves. And what we see again is Jesus, instead of moving away from human need, he moves towards it. And so Jesus changes course from wherever he's going and whatever he's doing, and he goes with Jairus, and this large crowd simply goes with them. But it's at this point that something unexpected happens. Along the way, with all the commotion uh, of a large crowd of people pressing in on him at every side, Jesus just stops. And when Jesus stops, the whole crowd stops with him. And he looks around and asks the strange question, who touched my clothes? And at this point, there must have been confusion and murmuring among the crowd because even his own disciples are confused. They look at Jesus and they say, You've got to see this crowd pressing in against you everywhere, and yet you're asking, who touched me? It's like, I hate to break it to you, but everybody is touching you. We're in the midst of a great crowd traveling to this man's house. But that doesn't stop him. 
Jesus senses that power has gone out of him, has gone out of him into someone else, and he can feel the loss. And Jesus kept looking around to see who did it. Uh, At these yard churches we've been doing, we've had a time of discussion where the leader will throw out a couple of questions to get the conversation started. And there are some times where questions will be thrown out, uh, where I throw out questions, and what simply follows is just crickets. There's, there's nothing. There's people shifting in their seats, looking at each other, looking at the ground. And what follows is this awkward silence, and no one knows exactly how long it's going to last. But it's not, it's not something that's comfortable to sit through. And sometimes as a leader, you just have to let the question hang in the air and let the awkwardness sit there. Uh, With this encounter, with this question and Jesus looking around, I wonder how long it went on. I wonder how long Jesus stood there, just silently looking around, making eye contact with each person. And the crowd was probably much more quiet than it had been just moments ago. And I imagine the tension is building. People are whispering to each other, why did he stop? He says someone touched him. Who was it? We don't know. That's what we're waiting to see. And we we don't know how long this went on, but it seems like it went on long enough for one woman to feel like all eyes were on her and that she could no longer hide what she had done. And so stumbling forward before Jesus is this woman who falls down at Jesus's feet, shaking with fear and tells him everything that she did. And what she tells him is this story of hardship and hopelessness. She tells Jesus of how for 12 years she has been sick. Uh, It is difficult to be sick for three days or for six months, but 12 years is almost a lifetime. And her sickness is such that in addition to all the physical pain, Her bleeding would have pushed her out of the life of the community, physically, relationally, and spiritually. She would have been labeled unclean and unsafe to be around. And so now she's an outcast. And she shares how in her desperation, she went to every doctor, but their treatments did not take away their pain. The treatments they did only added to it. But she couldn't stop. She had to find a way out and she spent all her money, everything that she had. And the suffering doesn't get any better. It just keeps getting worse. But when she heard about Jesus, she thought maybe he can help. If I can just sneak up and touch his clothes, I can be healed. And in the Greek, there are different words used for healing. And this one is much stronger than usual. It is actually the same Greek word used for salvation. In other words, what she is thinking is, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be saved. I'll be saved from what my life has become. In the book Les Mis, there's a young woman named Fantine, and, and there was a time where she was full of life. She was full of dreams. She was full of hope and and the future was all ahead of her and it was bright but the man that she was in love with was only playing a game and he he left her pregnant and alone and this forced her to send her child away to another family because she couldn't take care of her 
this forced her into manual labor where she'd be uh, unjustly fired and then she'd be forced to sell her body, then forced to, to sell her hair, and finally even forced to sell her two front teeth in order to provide for this child that she loves so much but can't see. And in the musical, there's a a powerful scene where Fantine is sick with fever on her deathbed, and she's still still very young, but she is worn down by life, and she sings this song. And she says, I dreamed a dream in times gone by, when hope was high and life worth living. I dreamed that love would never die. I dreamed that God would be forgiving. Then I was young and unafraid, and dreams were made and used and wasted. There was no ransom to be paid, no song unsung, no wine untasted. But the tigers come at night with their voices soft as thunder, and they tear your hope apart as they turn your dream to shame. There are dreams that cannot be, and there are storms we cannot weather. I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living, so different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. This nameless woman before Jesus was worn down by suffering, trembling with fear, desperate to be released from this hell that has become her life, telling the truth, wondering how Jesus will respond to an unclean woman sneaking up and physically touching a clean religious man and somehow taking some of his power. What she did was incredibly risky. And these are moments that I wish we could see with our own eyes, wish we could be there in some way. Because Jesus looks at her not with anger, not with disappointment, not with disgust, and not with shame, but with the utmost tenderness and compassion. And what he does is he gives this no-named woman a new name, daughter. Daughter, he says, your faith has healed you, or your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Go in peace, peace, shalom, wholeness, healing, rescue, salvation, freely given by Jesus to the most unlikely person. But that's just what Jesus came to do, only on a much bigger and deeper scale. Something surprising and beautiful has just happened. But don't forget, helping this woman is not what Jesus is supposed to be doing. This is an interruption of another person's desperate situation. Think about it this way. Someone you care about in your family has an accident. And it's so serious that you know that if they don't get help right away, they will not make it. So you call 911 and they send an ambulance. They load up your loved one inside on a stretcher and then you jump in to ride with them. You're going down the road, the silence, the sirens are on, the lights are on, and you are, you are trucking it to the hospital to get there in time, and you, you just don't know if they will make it. But then along the way, the ambulance just stops. It, it turns off the lights, it turns off the sirens, and then the driver gets out. And there's a young homeless man 
who fell off his bike and is badly hurt, but it's not fatal. So the EMTs, they get their stuff out and they begin to ask him questions and they begin to help him and treat his wounds. Now, as you are in the ambulance sitting beside your loved one who is dying, what are you thinking in that moment? What are you thinking about what they are doing and about your need and about what is going to happen? Uh, That's probably some of what Jairus is thinking in this moment. As this crowd stops, as, as Jesus takes his time, looks around, and as he engages in a conversation with this woman, a ruler of the synagogue, a religious man whose little girl is dying, and here an unclean woman, an outcast, is stopping Jesus, taking up his time, using his healing power. And you can picture Jairus thinking, why are you stopping when my daughter is sick and about to die? And you can picture Jesus answering, I'm stopping because my daughter is sick too. And while she looks like she has no value to this world, she means more to me than you will ever know. Uh, Yes, he will help Jairus and his daughter, but he will also stop everything he is doing to help a suffering and unclean nobody. Because to Jesus, She is somebody. Even more than that, she's family. Jesus is turning people's understanding of the kingdom and of the heart of God upside down, and it's good news for those who need it most. But he's not done with Jairus yet. As Jairus is waiting on Jesus in what probably felt like a lifetime, a messenger comes and says, you don't need to trouble the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. And Jesus' response to Jairus in this moment, whose life has just been shattered, is to say, do not be afraid. Just believe. Just trust. Trust me. So they go to his house. They work their way through the weeping and the wailing that's already begun. And when Jesus says there is still hope, they just laugh in his face. But Jesus takes a small group upstairs. He comes to this little girl and he takes her by the hand and says to her in Aramaic, little girl, get up. And just like that, the grip of death on this little girl is broken and she is saved. Now, this won't be the last time that Jesus is laughed at when he's trying to save someone. Because there will be a time coming soon where Jesus will not only be laughed at, but mocked, beaten. He will be dressed in royal purple and given this crown of thorns and hailed jokingly as the king of the Jews come to rescue humanity. And as he's hanging on the cross, facing suffering like nothing we can ever imagine, he is completely helpless. And these words are shouted against him. Look at him. He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He healed others. He cannot heal himself. He rescued others, but he cannot rescue himself. What kind of savior is that? But what they didn't realize is that the only way that we can truly be rescued and saved is by Jesus not saving himself. This is what he came for, to liberate, to heal, to forgive, to reconcile, to use his power to save us. But power must come out of him in order that it might come to us. He must lose if we are 
to gain, but it will come at a greater cost than we will ever realize. Our desperate need is not an interruption to Jesus. It's the heartbeat of his life. Then, now, and always. Amen and amen.